So it's been a little while since I had a guest on just to talk about stuff. I guess that's not entirely true. We had that one gentleman on recently from outside of our circles to talk about apologetics for the existence of God and the need of a knowledge of God and civilization. But in terms of digging into theology and Lutheran theology, we, we've been we've been a field for a bit. So I, I'm excited. I finally got the opportunity to have on my my guest today. I've been wanting him on for a couple months now, but there was some transition in his life. So we, we waited till that all settled down. But now today we get a chat with Pastor William Whedon. If you don't know his name, you should. He makes, he makes the rounds in the media circles of the Lutheran world and, and really the Christian world. And most recently, he's made some waves with a series of videos in which he was interviewed about what it's like to be a Lutheran by a man who is a Christian and really had no idea. So I hope to pick his brain a little bit about that as well. But his his big deal now is a new podcast from Lutheran Public Radio, LPR. It's called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. That's his new main gig. But he also serves as associate pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, where he was formerly I don't know, lead pastor, at least. I, I might have been sole pastor at that time. And then before that, or between those things, he uh, he did a lot of great work for us as the director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. And so if you go online and you're looking for resources on the lectionary or on the prayers or any of that stuff from lcms.org, he was the man behind a lot of that uh, for quite a while, did some conferences and whatnot. In any case, none of that's really what I want to talk to him about. <laughs> uh, what I want to talk to him about is something that a few of you out there have picked up on that I've been exploring with in my own life, uh, having to deal with nutrition, lifestyle change, things like that. And there have been questions coming my way about it, and I've been hesitant hesitant to answer, it, largely because when you talk about nutrition, it's, it's like you're talking about somebody's children. It, people get very, very emotional very, very quickly. And I'll be the first to admit that what, uh, what I'm currently doing is a, about the equivalent of believing in a flat earth. Uh, it, it's like on that scale. But I have to blame Pastor Whedon for, for putting me onto this in the first place. So I'm going to use him as my foil, uh, and we'll, we'll have a little discussion about what it means to be a carnivore and a Lutheran. I'd like to begin with a trigger warning. This is completely, utterly mad. You're gone. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it wrong. One of the greatest epics ever produced. Well, get ready. You ain't seen nothing yet. Pastor Whedon, Will, uh, thank you for being on. I, I really appreciate that you're willing to be here. And if if we don't mind starting with the easy stuff, just tell me a little bit about the transition. You've been you were serving as a a sonatocrat, a bureaucrat, but doing good work. And you had the opportunity now to just be a, a podcaster. Uh, what what genesis that? And then uh, what good have you seen come of it already? Is it is it is it going well? What's the point of the show? What are you doing? Just any, anywhere you want to go in that. Hey, thanks, man. It is a joy to talk to you. I miss seeing you a lot. It was fun when you were also a uh, synodical bureaucrat. <laughs> we were working together. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, you know what? Uh, transition. It's been amazing. The most exciting part to me just on a purely personal level was was losing the commute and losing having to deal with what I could just call corporate culture. And all of a sudden, just being asked to do nothing but teach the Word of God <laughs> it has been such a blast. 
I have absolutely loved it. I get to spend time at home writing every weekday. And then um, periodically, I'll run into the studio there at Issues Etc. And I will record, should I say Lutheran Public Radio, and I'll record uh, what I've been working on. And uh, we've stored uh, quite a few of those up. I just finished writing this morning the podcast for January 1st. So I am well into the book of John. And man, it's so hard not to be excited about John's gospel. The more that we read it, the more I'm like, oh, there is no end to the depth of this thing. It's just awesome. So I'm having a blast doing that and getting to help out back in St. Paul's too. That's kind of been uh, surreal uh, in many ways, but also just such a great joy. I love my pastor, Pastor Benjamin Ball. It's a joy to serve with him. Also, Pastor William Gleason, who uh, I got I got to serve with uh, many years ago when I was there and get to do that again. So that's fun. So th- that it's interesting to me, as, as you mentioned, going to be an associate pastor where you were formerly a, a lead pastor and then working with someone who is your current pastor as well, because you were attending at St. Paul as right, well. Right, right. And, and comparing and contrasting that with the, the corporate culture that you mentioned before, because it's not as though when you have multiple staff in an organization that is a local congregation, it's not as though there is no corporation going on. There very much is. And uh, how challenging it would be, I think, for many people to step back from being you know, the head honcho and not be the head honcho in something that was effectively their baby or their you – know, it's not like the startup exactly, but – but it is in a sense you have a, you have your fingers in a lot of things. So I'm curious about that a little bit. So are you like what is what does your task list look like for them? Oh, this is amazing. Pastor Ball just <laughs> he nailed it. Um, he number one throughout the entire time that I was there as a member, if anybody ever came to me with anything that they wanted to talk about, the only answer I had for them is, "Have you talked to our pastor about that?" Right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. Yeah. Go talk to him. That's not my problem. I am happy to uh, to be your friend. I'm not your pastor anymore. So sending them to him with that was just great. When he lined out this position for me, he 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 basically said, "Will you uh, agree to help me out in the school sometimes when I have uh, responsibilities with the Council of Presidents because he's a Senate Six Vice President?" Oh, I didn't. Um, so I forgot about that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Cool. So, yep. He's gone sometimes, and, and when that happens, uh, I fill in for him in the school. And then additionally, I, I preach periodically, um, but he made it clear he doesn't do weddings, he doesn't do baptisms, he doesn't do funerals, he doesn't do counseling. <laughs> Down the line, you know, he's not that, he, he is here is to be the pastoral assistant to help me with the load of preaching and teaching. And it was absolutely a joy to be able to step into that. So uh, I, I've, I've loved every minute of it. Now, you mentioned writing again, too, and uh, writing every morning, you said, is this strictly for the podcast, or are you getting to do some more, um, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tangent for a second to say, like, my my dream life, which I don't expect to ever happen, is that I get up, and I do my, my exercise, my meditation, and then, and then I write from, like, 7 o'clock until about 2 p.m. I probably stop for lunch, go back, write some more, be done about 2 or 3 and so, you know, I've got in seven, eight hours of writing in the day. It would be my goal. I don't have anything like that, nothing even remotely like that. But it's a dream. And you're saying you kind of have that opportunity. But if, if LPR is slave driving you, maybe you're not getting to use it the way you like it. You know? <laughs> so so what, are you, what are you working on? 
they are not slave driving me, but it has been a lot of fun. And I am working on several things. I mean, I like right now, I've got uh, six uh, hymn studies that I've got to finish up here mm-hmm. in the next three weeks uh, for issues, et cetera, as well as my uh, podcast. So what I'm, you know, my, my normal procedure is that on, uh, uh, I, I write one podcast on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday when I go, I also in that morning go in and record shows. Mm-hmm. And then on Tuesday and Thursday, I write two podcasts, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. And then I fit in any extra time, other writing assignments, including stuff, you know, for the church or whatever. I, I'm preaching on the third Wednesday in, in Advent, and I've got a sermon come the uh, um, Sunday after Christmas. So, you know, I've, I've got a number of writing things going on. I haven't gotten down to writing anymore in a book. I really do look forward to that. I want to do that again. I want to write a book for um, uh, Lutheran Public Radio as a basic primer and introduction to Lutheran liturgy, not for the scholar, but just for the ordinary Lutheran layman or the person who's coming into the Lutheran church from maybe evangelicalism or on the other side from Roman Catholicism. You know, what are you going to find when you come here? I, I, I just love to write that book. So I'm thinking about thinking a lot about that, but that hasn't gone any further than my head. It hasn't made it to my fingers. That'd be super useful. Uh, recently, we had a we have a visitor continuing to come who wanted to know more about liturgy. Her, her background, I believe, was as a youth, a Roman Catholic, but had not been for a long time. And she uh, had been in more evangelical circles and was very curious about, why are you doing what you're doing? And it wasn't sort of just like, I don't like it. It was like, no, 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 really. Can you tell me with every little piece what's going on? I'm like, well, right. Uh, we have this book called Gathered Guests. It's only about 7 billion pages long. Uh, it's kind of the <laughs> one we have. And so I don't know if you really want that. She's like, I want it. And, you know, she bought it and started reading it, which is good for her. But, uh, you know, something for your – what I've always wanted is something just to hand a visitor, like a tract, like a three-page a three, three trifold tract that had good art and simple information without being over the top. But anything, anything you could do in that direction would be good. So you make me want to tangent into well, first, sorry, writing. You want to get back to writing. I didn't mention at the start of this. You are a published author. You have a couple of books out uh, recently. Thank, praise, serve, and obey. Uh, a book on Lutheran piety, and then I haven't seen this one yet. But uh, see my Savior's hands, a children's book, uh, through yeah. I assume Concordia Publishing House as well. So yeah, yeah, you are a writer, which is fantastic. Uh, but then the, the the segue that you threw me. Uh, is this recent series of videos that you did with, what was it? Was it five-minute Bible Christian, 10-minute Bible, something like that? <laughs> 10-minute Bible hour. <laughs> there you go. 10-minute Bible man, hour. Does, man, Matt does, Matt does uh, math after my own heart. <laughs> well, he seems like a really energetic guy. I remember somehow I had stumbled onto him before I saw what you did with him. And I don't know how. It was like just the week before. And oh, wow. I, I saw his channel. And I glanced at it for, for three minutes. I looked at the subscribers and said, well, he's bigger than I'll ever be. Uh, and I said, ah, okay, back to life. And, and I let it go. I didn't think about it. And then I saw that you were doing stuff with him. And I've not, I, I, to fair disclosure, I have not watched it. I've heard nothing but good things about it, uh, but I have not watched it. So you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, you know, how it came about is good, but, but what was the goal of that? Did he reach out to you? Um, and then I've heard that uh, from at least one viewer, they were a little disappointed in his responses, that he didn't seem to have time to listen to you. 
I don't know. Oh no, really? No. Yeah, no, I think that that that's missing it. Okay. Um, he he actually was just so in, I think he was genuinely intrigued and blown away by what he got to experience and it did produce a lot of interesting questions and back and forth that um you know, he pushed hard on some things, which is great. I'm glad he did. Um you know, he, he, he was struggling to, to wrap his mind, for example, around closed communion and, and what, what are the implications of that and all. And so we, we covered that in, in detail. But he, he actually, I'd seen his stuff a while back, too. You know, it's a fascinating thing. I, I think the first one I saw was a Protestant visits a Catholic or, a Protestant or Orthodox. I don't remember whichever one it was. Um, an Orthodox church. And I thought, oh, I wonder what this guy does here. And it was great. You know, he just kind of tracks in and just looks at stuff and says, oh, what's this? What's that? What's the other thing for? And then he sits down and has a theological discussion with the person who's giving him the tour. And it was really great. Well, um, you know, our, our mutual buddy, Pete Slayton at uh, LCMS, he, he, he thought about that. And he said, you know, why don't we do a Lutheran one of these with mm-hmm. this guy? Um, and so he actually hooked Matt and I together and facilitated the whole thing. And it was it was so much fun. I just had a blast. Matt actually joined us for worship, although this is really hysterical. He joins us for worship on Sunday, right? The pastor sent out the notice ahead of time that we're going to have this video guy there who might grab some video during the second service. So, of course, nobody comes to the second service. Oh, no. I told Matt. I said, Matt, you know that this will tell you everything you ever need to know about Lutherans. Ah. (laughs) It's it's not a show. They don't want to be on TV. They're, you know, they're backing away. Um, And so. Uh, you know, it was still fine. It was still beautiful liturgy and he got to experience it. His comment on it though was, I, and I, I love this. He said, um, you know, it was like, I expected something very 16th century. And it was like all 2000 years of Christian history going on all at once. Hmm. And I was like, yes, yeah, that man right. gets the liturgy. He got what was going on. He saw that. And so understanding Lutheranism as, uh, you know, this huge yes to so much that came before and only rejecting in the tradition that came down to us what's unbiblical. I think that was a, a bit of an eye opener for him that, okay, so it's kind of the inverted, um, what do you call that? The, um, the regulative principle of Calvinism, right? You know, it's inverted where they say you only do what the Bible tells you to do. We say you're free to do all that the church has ever done, provided what we're doing is not unbiblical. It's not contrary to the scripture. Um, so that, I think it produced some really good, good discussion. And, and I love, I mean, he's a, he's a great brother in Christ and it was a, it was a joy to get to know him. He actually joined us for lunch at our house um, after church that Sunday and we just had a blast. Yeah. What was, what is his theological background, his pedigree? He's, he's evangelical free church. Okay. So, so with a reformed lean then probably? Well, I mean, evangelical free church sort of are like Swedish pietist. As he, how did he describe it? I'm a Swedish Lutheran pietist Baptist. <laughs> you know, the, 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 that, that's sort of the heritage that, that right. he comes right. out of. That's pretty funny. Well, yeah, because the, the line between pietist and Baptist is pretty thin to begin with historically, and then you just yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then, so what's what's been the response? Uh, I, I, was this only released on his channel or was this done through your own? And then are you finding people reaching out to you as a result of this? Are, are people uh, wanting more? Yeah. Yeah. It exploded. Um, I was shocked at how far it went and how fast. Um, I mm. think it went, the last time I talked to Matt about it, he said it's on track to maybe end up being in the top three stuff that he's done. 
Oh, wow. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it actually finally does shake down. And yeah, I've heard from people all over the world uh, because of this, which kind of surprised me. Uh, you know, Senate pushed it some on their uh, Facebook pages, mm-hmm. which was nice, um, and on their Twitter account. And uh, of course, issues are not, I keep saying issues, but you know, Lutheran Public Radio pushed it as well, which was really nice. And uh, it, it was it definitely reached out and seemed to touch a lot of people. It was mostly, of course, you know, there was a little bit of hate there from our, our, our Orthodox and Roman Catholic brothers who, you know, not all of them. There were certainly people who appreciated it and, and, and were, you know, uh, not polemical about it. But, you know, there's also a mindset uh, sometimes in Christians where it sounds like you're threatening their, what they regarded as their domain. Um, and, and I think we, we did that. We touched a nerve in that video that was, was good. Um, it was good to actually let Christians know, hey, there's not only two ways of being traditionally mm-hmm. Christian, you know, it's yeah. not just, uh, you know, Rome or the East. There is a Protestant church that held onto this heritage. Um, and uh, I mean, not, not meaning any offense to our uh, our Anglican brothers and sisters, but that, you know, uh, I believe the Lutherans held the doctrinal heritage a lot stronger and tighter than the Anglicans did. Hmm. So one of my, my kicks recently is all about how no one really knows what Lutheran means. And I'm not <laughs> sure Lutherans know what Lutheran means. Uh, everyone's got a different definition of it. And it's, it's just this wax nose vanilla term. And so I, I think your, your conversation with him and the the fact that this happened and even some of the response proves that point and and to some extent i you know what you say about a few people getting upset i mean if, if rome's not upset with what we're saying then we're not saying what we're supposed to be saying yeah, we didn't hear what we were saying you better believe it yeah. <laughs> i guess the whole deal and and but i i really I, I can't imagine a better person to be the introducer of uh, evangelical catholic lutheranism uh, than yourself so i'm really glad that you were the one to do that but my hope in this would be not that it would just get a bunch of LCMS Lutherans watching it and saying, oh, good, we're finally out there, but that you would have those who are uh, not familiar with us at all finding out that there is this other option besides, yeah. you know, big yeah. box blah and go straight to the Pope and kiss his ring. You know, that there's something right. in the middle here. Not to say that, that the Anglicans aren't that, but I guess I could throw the, the liberal wing of Protestantism out there too. You know, you got to go uh, – preach uh, affordable housing and gun control is your, your fourth option, I guess. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I kind of want to dig on that, uh, that thought of just what is Lutheranism. Cause I, I've gotten, I've gotten some of my buddies really frustrated with me. Uh, cause it, it would seem I'm, I'm, I'm banging on Lutheranism too hard. And, uh, Hey, you, you can't be worse than scared. Uh-huh. David scared says about, you know, <laughs> Lord save us from Lutheranism. <laughs> You know, um, I, 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 you know what he means by that. He's talking about you know just the, the the culture thing as opposed to the well. Maybe I'm jumping the gun here on on how you would define it, but I mean to me it's really clear. It's like, hey, this is the church that's defined in the Book of Concord. It's not about Luther. It's about the the Christian Book of Concord, where these confessions are laid out as the biblical truth. And to be faithful to them is to be the church of the Augsburg Confession. Mm. And that's that's what I'm interested in being. You know, I'm, I'm not interested in being something that's, uh, you know, founded by a guy in the 16th century. Who wants that? Um, I don't believe that's what Lutheran, the Lutheran church really is. I believe the Lutheran church really is the church of the Augsburg Confession. 
the Church of the Book of Concord. And if we lose that, I think we've lost uh, the very thing that makes us be who we are. You can keep the Ludafisk and you can keep all, you know, all the cultural trappings and all that. That doesn't mean anything. What, what matters is what Lutherans believe, teach, and confess. And that's in the book of Concord. Yeah. And, and that's, that's kind of my, my, my point and my hunch and my frustration is I, I believe we've adopted in, in uh, unwittingly, we've adopted a number of cultural habits and it's bigger than just, you know, blood sausage and lutefisk. It, it is, there's a lot of Americanizing that's gone on too. And I don't mean the progressive kind, uh, is, is it Midwestern? I don't, I don't know. But we've uh, adopted certain mentalities, certain things that we believe are what make church church, what it is to be church, and they're not essential. And I think at times they're they're killing us, and we have completely lost touch with. Uh, you use the Augsburg Confession, and, and I'm with you on that. I'd much rather call ourselves the Church of the Augsburg Confession because at least then we wouldn't – we'd really have to define it because no one would know as opposed to thinking they knew. But then right, right. why do we hold to those things? It, it's not because they're in the Asbury Confession. It's because we're the Church of the Bible, and, right, right, and right. we are not. We're not known for that. Nor do we tell people that. So when someone says, "What's a Lutheran?" I don't think our our first reaction is, "Oh, we're the ones who believe the Bible," unlike the rest of you. Like we don't say that, uh, and and we we believe that. Like we think that about baptism and the Lord's Supper, right? We got we got issues there with other other Christians and whatnot. So somehow we've managed to like displace our core and it's still floating out there in the ether a little bit, but we've displaced it. And in place of it, we have a guy with a hammer on a doorway, uh, and, <laughs> you know, and, and I don't know what else, an organ. Yeah, no, and I'm, I mean, I'm not anti-organ per se, but like, that is not the definition. Yeah, no, I mean, and, 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 oh, how do I even begin to get into this? Hmm. This, this beautiful history of living with the word of God and letting this word of God form and shape us, um, it's what, you know, why do I, why do I value the organ? Because fuck, because I mean, you know, well, why was he a big deal? Because he took the Bible and he said, is there a way to sing this to make, can we take this and write it into people's souls? Hmm. And he found a way, right? You know, so, so shits and, and, and the whole heritage that, for, you know, Pretorius, they, they, I think of these guys and I don't think of this as just um, cultural baggage. I think what, what made them great, what made them so outstanding was that they had this ability to internalize what we have in the Book of Concord, which is what is in the sacred scriptures, this joyful message of the sinner's free justification by grace and, 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 and the, the comfort that comes to the people of God and knowing that God actually touches down in this world, in space and in time, at the holy sacraments, at the at the uh, the hearing and and attending to His Word, I mean, th- this to me is a priceless heritage that that is so beautiful. And and yeah, if, if whenever we focus on, I don't know, you know what? It reminds me. I've used this analogy before for All Saints Day. It reminds me of this that when people think that the way to sort of do All Saints is to sort of see the big crowd and kind of look like you fit in, instead of you know pushing your way to the crowd to see what they're all staring at. What are they hmm. staring at? That's what makes you the saint. <laughs> That's what makes you fit in. And to be a Lutheran is not to just kind of sort of look like a Lutheran on the outside and have all the trappings, right? It's to have pushed through to see the lamb in his all-sufficient sacrifice offered for the sins of the world and coming to you now in his means of grace. This is what makes a Lutheran. Mm, I love that. And, and that's where I'm, I'm crazy right now because it's like, why aren't we pushing? I feel like we should be pushing really hard. And uh, as, as Missouri Synod, and I'm not talking about the institution per se, I'm talking about 
this group of human beings that associate ourselves, that brand ourselves in this way, the, the world is not seeing Jesus right now. Other Christians are not pushing him very hard, honestly, uh, not like they used to. You know, you, could, you used to let Billy Graham do his thing, and you knew Jesus would get preached at the end of it. And it's just, it's just not quite there anymore the same way. And so what has caused us to, to, to not want to push forward to see Christ uh, within our congregations and, and again, then to, uh, to trumpet that, uh, to demand that that be heard and have a voice in the public square, those kinds of things. Um, I, I've never met anybody, I think, as good at inspiring people to love our liturgy and music as yourself. You have a way of teaching it. You have a way of your own passion for it. It comes out. And, and, and uh, so people can enter into liturgical understanding through, through your teaching. One of my uh, concerns, again, right now is that I, I love liturgy. If you visit my congregation, it won't be quite as high probably as what you do, but it's, it's, it wants to be like, it's trying to be, I'm just not as talented. Uh, but my, my concern that I'm noticing is that the tradition of Bach, which is the organ seems to me to not be internalizing the words for people today. And I love that phrase that I wrote that down. You said that, cause I think this is exactly what music's for in the church is to help us internalize the words. And my question that I want an answer to at the end of the day, end of the year, whatever is how can we how can we start internalizing these words again? Because at the moment, I see a lot of regular attending Lutherans doing the very opposite. They are uninternalizing the words, and it has something to do with our music. And I'm not saying it's the organ's fault. Uh, I'm not saying that it's anyone's fault, but there is something wrong. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I want to say it's not. I really think it's not. It's not the instrumentation per se at all. It really, I mean, there's so much of it really is whether or not, uh, you know, God bless our musicians, the, the folks that work and try so hard to, to give us the, to, to lead us in the music um, and, and serve us with their, with their, with whatever talents and abilities God has given them. But I do know for a fact that sometimes music in a congregation can actually kill the joy of worship. I know that sounds terrible, but it True. absolutely can. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I don't talk about going down rabbit holes. Let's just go down one really quickly, and and, and let me sh- see if I can sort of show what I mean. Um, okay, so we have um, the beautiful and stately uh, during the divine service. We're seeing the the Scottish setting of the Gloria. Um, you know, the glory be to God on high and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Which, when it's sung in four part harmony, really is a very lovely piece. It is. Um, but um, compare this what the Germans were actually used to singing, what, what the Senate was, it, what its German liturgy actually had, you know, a line got in death is I, you know, you, you, you had, you had a lot more um, oomph going on with that uh, choral paraphrase of the, uh, the Gloria, um, this Decius setting. And, and I just see this over and over again, where sometimes our music can, uh, can can be done in such a well number one many times like i said you've got a musician who just is struggling they've been pressed to do it because they had piano lessons when they were a kid or whatever and so they're they're trying to lead it they're doing the best they can but you know there's no sense of a beat and when you lose that people don't know when to sing yeah right you yep. know i mean it, and it kill it, it just kind of kills and deadens the singing how do we actually help our musicians to be the most uh um 
joy-filled bear. I mean, the, the, in a sense, they are the ones who are carrying the chalice of joy to the congregation. They, you know, they, they what can we do to make sure they don't drop it? <laughs> you know, <laughs> they fork that thing over so that the congregation is filled with, with the joy. I mean, I'll give you another one that drives me crazy. Um, there's a tendency in our hymnal, you see these, um, um, sometimes you see these long half notes, like, uh-huh. um, well, it's in a mighty fortress, right? Yep. You know, have you, I, I had members of congregation years ago told me, oh, I hate a mighty fortress. And it wasn't until I heard what they were doing that I went, oh, I hate that too. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they literally were singing, you know, like, a mighty uh, fortress. So I mean, by the time you're three lines into it, you're like, is this over yet? Right. You know? Um, it, it's only when you realize that it has nothing to do. I mean, the, the pulse in that case is actually the, the half note. It's, it's still, you know, a mighty fortress is our God. I mean, all of a sudden you're dancing with it, right? You know, um, same with a morning star, same with so many of our hymns. Yeah. And you get a musician who actually gets that. And all of a sudden, the hymn is is actually able to do what the words are trying to do. You listen to the words; they're dripping in joy. How how do you get the joy into the music? Well, you hear you hear that, and you're like, ah, now I see. So that that's an ongoing challenge for all of our churches to how how to to get that sound into our people's hearts and minds, um, so that it writes the words with the with the proper joy into them. Proper joy sounds wrong, doesn't it? Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, but I know what you're talking about. And, and, and you're not you're not necessarily meaning, you know, the biblically inspired um uh joy that, that only Christians have. Because there there is a there is an uplifting power that music can have for anybody. And and right. if we're not making use of that with our music, then we're better off without the music at, at the end of the day. The, the question then for me is you say, how can we get this, you know, in, how can we get the song into the people? But it, it, to some extent, how can we get the song into our musicians? How yeah, right. Can we, oh, how can we right. teach the musicians who don't know a song like the Mighty Fortress as it ought to be played, uh, to, how, to, how to play it? Or to, to put it another way, um, how can we encourage or, or lead musicians that we have to uh, not want the song to be over? <laughs> is it because right, if the musician wants right. the song to be over then everybody else is going to want it to be over too you know it, right it, right right if you're not loving it no one's going to love it. and also i mean and I, I know i made it sound like it's i that everything needs to go faster but i also want to hit the other side right, right. like if, if you've ever heard um uh, uh luther's great uh paraphrase of the nunc dimittis uh it's one of the most haunting of melodies um uh, uh in peace and joy i now depart and the key, I'm convinced, to that piece is actually to take it slower than almost anyone wants it to go. Yeah. You have to go so slow. You're barely, you're like, man, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to make this. Holy Spirit, where are you? I need your help to make it here through to the end. I always picture like you're, you're Dorothy in the poppy fields and you're falling asleep and you're mm. like, you know, help. <laughs> and then the Spirit goes. You know, he gives that help. It's it, it's it's a beautiful thing uh, th- that him. So uh, yeah, how to get the? the we're actually we're, we're we're talking about this, and, and the synod's done this periodically in the past, where they offered uh, like the real life worship conferences to try to do it. It's certainly one of the big things that we work on with the synodical um, uh, liturgical conference that we do, the um, Institute on Liturgy, Preaching, and Church Music. The bad thing is the people that love to come to that and do come to that. 
are already the professional musicians who don't need any more help. Mm-hmm. They're the ones who are making the music sparkle and shine. And the folks who are usually not able to be there are from the uh, smaller congregations where the mom or, or, you know, the aunt or whatever is playing the organ because pastor told her she had to, even though she only had three years of piano when she was in whatever. Um, it's, like, it's like we need a circuit rider who is yeah. a music trainer, right? So the, the right. circuit rider, just, he's not a pastor. He just drives around and teaches liturgy to people who are, who are you know, part-time church musicians. Uh, I mean, how do, you, how do you pay for that one? And that that well, would be so valuable, though. Yeah, you, you, know, you know, approaching it from the other end, which I have found absolutely fascinating. Uh, oh, I'm going to get, they just changed their name. Um, they were the St. St. Paul, uh, musical conservatory. Oh, right. Um, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Nate that guy's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so the idea is you actually get, you get, you train the kids, you get the kids. I mean, they're, they're, they've had a kid. I mean, he's the youngest member of the American Guild of Organists ever huh. he came to their academy. He learned from, uh, Christians how to actually play. And, 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 and he's amazing. And, and and to get the, the kids as musicians early, that's huge. At, at the place where I'm, you know, at St. Paul's right now, um, it's a classical ed Christian school. Our cantor, Jan Muth, has an incredible strings program. I mean, like my granddaughter's in kindergarten. I want to go back to kindergarten so I can learn to play the violin. <laughs> you know? It's just shocking. These kids actually really learn how to do it. They 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 The musicianship by the time they're done is phenomenal. So that's how do we fix it long term? That's how you fix it long term. Short term, it's a lot, lot harder. And usually because you got egos coming in there, right? I mean, yeah, how do you yeah. say to the organ person that's playing for you, man, you, you, you really need help? Uh, you know, how, how, do, how do you do that? that that's hard. Well, how do, you, how do you tell anybody that they need to get better at what they're doing? And if they're not natively wanting that, right? If someone comes up to you and says, hey, you know, this thing you think you're good at, well, you're not like you're not going to take that well and so we're, we all do that with our various hobbies we all think we're the you know god's gift to and what coffee brewing or whatever right and, right and so it it is it, it, and and the tact that that requires um the patience that requires i i don't know but it just ah it just is is really irking me now because what i what i desperately desperately want for for my people and i've got two very good part-time musicians they could get better but they are good um but i desperately desperately want want it to be great i i want i want my people to say pastor don't end the service we're singing another hymn you're not right, right. Go home yet until we get a little more singing because because i know that's what people love about their big box revival is garbage churches is that the music makes them want to sing and I watch my people, and they, they're watching their watch. They can't wait to get out. And, oh, that hymn was too long. So, okay, well, it, it, the problem's not the hymn then at a certain point. It's not the tag. Right, right, right. I mean, you know? let me throw out one, one, one other thing on the hymn that I think is, is, is massive for Lutheran. Lutheran this. If the hymn has 18 stanzas in there, or actually, you know, I'm working right now on the, the uh, 15 stanzas of From Heaven Above to Earth I Come, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This, this hymn and all these longer hymns in the Lutheran tradition were never intended that the congregation sing them all straight through. And when pastors do that, number one, I won't even do it anymore. If somebody gives me a, you know, an, even an eight stanza hymn, I'll choose which stanzas I'm going to actually sing on. Hmm. And I'll listen on the other ones. 
because this back and forth singing is how the congregation preaches to itself. So, I mean, if you can picture from heaven above to earth, I come, have a single voice, a child's voice, sing the first stanza to you from, you know, the words of the angel. And then maybe have the group of children come in for the second stanza. And then for the third stanza, you might have, um, uh, you know, the, the men of the congregation and then the women for the third, uh, fourth stanza. You just keep moving it around. And sooner or later, when you're not, when you're not actually having to produce the music, you're actually able to listen and reflect on the music that you're hearing others sing to you. And that's how Lutheran hymnody was written to be done. Um, Luther, uh, Walter called this vexel singing, back and forth singing. Um, and I think as, until we recover that, people are always going to resent our hymns. They're going to be like, oh my goodness, is there, are we really singing 15 stanzas of that? <laughs> it's like, pastor, don't do that to your people. No, no. <laughs> hey. it up. It made me think there also. I'm 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 increasingly convinced that uh, we should just take the hymnals away and make people learn by listening, and uh, or or they can have hymnals with the words in them, but they can't have any music because I think learning by ear versus learning by eye, and we hide in the learning by eye, and I'm just I'm com- I'm convinced of this. If you take it away and just and just have to learn to sing by listening, you're going to find the music, and if you can if you can not do that if you can it's the same thing with like your notices i know you've noticed this how like people look down to read the lord's prayer like every week and it's like really like i know you got that one memorized why are you really i mean okay okay so we, we use pretty much the same service every week um and so i can honestly say the only thing people actually use the hymnal for is for the words of the hymns generally they, they don't i mean the liturgy is just memorized and they just sing that and pray that but the um for for the the weird thing about the music, I mean, if you stop and think about this, this is so true. Um, you know, years ago, of course, we never printed music in the hymnals. Um, they were you know little small pocket things you could put in your you know literally put it in your pocket and carry it with you. Um, and the, the the reason behind that was was if you're a musician, you don't need the notes. And if you're not a musician, you don't need the notes. Right. Right. <laughs> right. It, it takes up more space. And it's very convenient to have for, you know, if you want to sing harmonies, I get that. That That's wonderful. And, and that that's nice. I love to do that. We have a lot of harmony singing in our church. That's very common on hymn stances to hear people belting out harmonies. I do it all the time. And, you know, half the row with me does. Um, so, yeah, there, but the, there's all it, kinds of ways to do it. The idea that music is not written to be seen, and I think – Right, it's to be heard. I think it is, right. It's written to be heard, and and we're, we're trapped somehow in, in the scene of it. I'm going to I'm gonna go, go way – not way back. I'm going to go about 10 minutes back in the conversation here and yeah, yeah. We'll shift topics. But you mentioned you know speeding up versus slowing down, and I am convinced yeah. there are a lot of our songs that definitely need to speed up. There's so right. many battle hymns that, that just – Men are shouting oh so yeah. these things. But when you mentioned slowing down, this just happened. Uh, was it yesterday? It's Tuesday. No, it would have been um, – it was yesterday. It might have been Sunday afternoon. So we started for, for Advent. We're, we're singing a hymn a night uh, with the family, and uh, everyone got to pick a number of hymns and put them in a jar. And so we pull out the one, and you can pick any hymn. You can pick Christmas hymns, Advent hymns, whatever. And uh, so the one that got picked, God bless my child, was uh, 666, which is uh, a little flock if you're not the flock. Yeah, a little flock. And – I, I started uh, leading us in it, and uh, my, my beloved, my, my wife, uh, said, oh, that's too slow. It's too slow. I said, no, it needs to be slower. 
Yeah. And so I'm, I'm going to do it here. I don't, I don't sing a lot on this podcast, but I did recently, but I, I just want, I want everyone just to kind of hear it. It's not supposed to be too fast. It's, it's imagine uh, an army gathered for battle the night before they're going into fight against a foe that's larger than they are and they expect to die. Right. And you're gathered around the fires. You kind of know what's coming. And the solo voice male, you know, gruff old soldier gets up and he goes, Oh, little flock, fear not the foe who madly seeks your overthrow. Fear not his rage and power. Yeah? And in a just yeah, the, yeah. The haunting level of that thing, yeah? Yeah. Uh, could an organ lead it that slow? I don't know. That's, that's, oh, sure. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, the, the cool thing about the organ, I mean, this is one of the different things between the organ and piano. When the piano here, when the piano strikes, the sound immediately begins to deteriorate as soon okay. as it's hit, yep. Yep. right? Um, even if you have a sustained pedal on, the sound is always vanishing. So, I mean, our, and our hymnals are written to be actually used with the organ, and they assume that the, the sound is going to keep on going to help the people connect. So if you've got like a, especially a situation in some uh, churches where you're using, you're leading from the piano, you've got, you've got to do more than just what's in that hymnal. If you do, if you just play what's in the hymnal, it's going to always sound very, well, dying. It's going to yeah, sound dying. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, you're going to roll the chords and make them be, uh, um, you know, you're going to fill in that sound on the chord so that the sound doesn't just completely die away. But uh, yeah, the master of this, of course, is uh, uh, folks like Philip Magnus. Yeah, um, you know, just he yeah. can, can take an Omega or Cheryl, his wife, um, another one. Just he, so he ruined it. he ruined worship for me. I tell you, it's, I, I can't uh, prepare oh, you. That's to, right. You served with him. Yeah. Right. I forgot. Prepare yeah. the Royal Highway. I mean, nobody plays it like he did, and and everyone plays it too slow. Oh, it is. I made my organist uh, watch him play it this year on a video, and they picked up the pace a little bit, which is nice, but they still didn't catch up to him. And uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so we, we need more of that kind of training and that kind of thinking. And and in that though, yeah. what I what I love about Phil's work is that he he could transcend the organ, so he didn't leave it behind. But he oh, transcended no, no, right. it, right? And he he realized that there's a lot more we could do with it, it was a piece. Yeah, it was not the right. yeah. It, it's a piece of the whole. It is definitely not the whole. All right. So I uh, thank you for, for humoring me on this. And, and I, I, I'm going to throw you one more on this. I think that the day that we get known in America again is the day we're known as the singing church. And until that day, uh, we're just going to be sitting in a corner arguing about our fine points of doctrine with each other, which I think there's a place for that. I'm not against fine points of doctrine. Um, I'd rather argue them with other people than with our, each other, but uh, <laughs> I'd, ra- I'd, ra- I'd rather I'd rather sing the fine points of doctrine huh. in awe together. Amen to that. To, 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 to me, to me, that you know, the mysteries of God is to Philip Melanchthon in his fifteen twenty one as he began it with the mysteries of God are to be adored, not investigated. And I just love that. I mean, that's how Lutheran theology began with adoration. Like, you know, and, and if we can get back to that in our that our hymns invite us into this awe, then we are on the right track. Yeah, amen, amen. Uh, push him all the way back to your podcast for a second here. Um, I did listen to one. I'm not a. I do a lot of podcasting, but not enough to get through all of my podcast lists. And so I, I gotta I gotta pick and choose. But I did listen to your first one on John, and you went deep, hard, and fast, and I appreciated that. What it reminded me of tremendously. But then different too. So I'm curious your your response to this. It made me think of the Lutheran Hour, but not 
not the way it is. Um, yeah. And yeah. It, it's like what I heard was I, when, when 1950s, 1940s, when, when the Missouri Synod families turned on the Lutheran Hour and their radio and watched the radio in their front room, they were doing it to get what you're given now. And I don't know. I mean, I don't want to knock any particular speaker of the Lutheran or whatever. Now, you know, the organization I think needs a lot of help. But um, is that what you're going for, though? Is is sort of the? I, I don't know. AJ, I could, well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. Jeff's vision was just. He says, you know, we don't have any expository preaching of, from Lutherans anywhere um, on the on the web. He says, and this is what we really need to provide. How does a Lutheran? do expository preaching, just working through the text. And, and if you haven't, li- I mean, I will tell you, as I began working on this podcast, I began working on it like they were um, research papers. It was horrible. Um, so if, if you've not, I mean, I invite you to say, listen to the one, go find the one for um, uh, either the wedding of Cana or maybe uh, later on when we deal with Votini at the well, uh, Sychar well, um, chapter four. I, I, I finally just came to a whole different way of doing it. I looked at it and said, I'm not going to start with the fathers, which is where I was trying to start. I said, I'm just going to start with this text and, and how Whedon would teach this text in a Bible class. And then I also thought, and I'm going to pull any of the great insights from the fathers that I can find after I've written what I need to write. <laughs> and so changing that method of doing it um, has made it be much they're much easier to write for me. I'm letting the text always give me the form I'm going to expound. Um, and it's been very, very, very different. So yeah, it was deeper there at the beginning, but also it's John 1, John 1, 1 to 18, right. some of the deepest right. verses in all the scripture. I mean, it's hard to begin there. I said, I, I told Jeff, hang on, wait till we get to the narrative. <laughs> get to the narrative, things start cooking. Well, um, I, I didn't mean it in a bad way. Uh, no, no, no. I know it. I know it. But, but I mean, it's true. It was just really hard. My kids listened to it. They said, Dad, that's too deep. Um, a friend, other friends listened to it. They said, whoa, that was so deep. I'm not ready to go there. Um, and I was like, just keep listening. See what you find. And then, of course, as we worked our way through it, as we're moving along, I think that the tone really changed in such a way that people were able to then kind of grab that, okay, this gospel is a fun, live gospel. It is just chocked full of Jesus everywhere you turn. And, and it won't let you lose the word in the beginning, and it won't let you lo- lose the word hanging on the cross. And, 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 and you've, you've got both of them always going full blast thrown at you in every single one of the pericopes. So it, it's been a joy. I've, I don't know how, I didn't write down how you said it a moment ago, but I really liked, as you are describing, your your shift from research paper preparation to kind of just letting Will say what the text says. And you, and you said the text becomes, you didn't say outline, um, uh, but your, your structure or your. It's the structure. Yeah. It's the structure of, I mean, literally I'm just going through, um, I mean, I'll read the, uh, my, my normal format there is I read the text. Uh, I do a brief introduction. I read the text and then I, uh, we have a prayer and then I will go through, go back and pick up verse by verse working through and not necessarily a single verse at a time. I did that at the beginning because of the density of John one, but you know, we'll pick up two, three verses at a time and then comment on those and then move to the next ones and try to, to pay attention. You know, not let the words go by so fast that we miss the kind of shocking things. And you know, a classic instance to me is when, when Jesus, when, when the crowds have come for the, the feeding of the 5,000 and Jesus, Remember, he crosses the sea with his disciples, walks to them on the sea at night. When they come to him at Capernaum, it, they don't say, how did you get here? They said, when did you get here? 
Hmm. And, and if you think about it, it makes all the sense in the world. To them, it's like, we took boats to get across. We cut the short way. He was on that shore last night. How, how, how could he possibly have made it faster than we? When did he get here? Um, and, and, and it makes sense. You stop and think about it. And yeah, okay. They don't know that he walked across the lake in the middle of the night. And that when he got into the boat instantly, the boat was at the other shore, right, even right. though it was only halfway in the middle of the lake at the time. So anyway, we try to just go slow and, and digest it and enjoy this feast that the Word of God sets in front of us. I made a real intentional change to do that in my preaching probably four years ago now. And it's made all the difference in the world to me in terms of delivery and the joy of out of preaching uh, that I get as opposed to the uh, prior to that, there was a certain level of um, and drudgery is not the word at all. I, I wanted to preach, I enjoyed it, but but there was like a there was a burden that I felt like I was carrying every week as I tried to well, see, figure out what I was supposed to preach. And see, see if this makes sense. I, I think what you're trying to say right there is exactly what occurred to me on this: is that the, the temptation before is to actually have a formula that you think you need to fit the mm-hmm. text into. Yeah. Um, that, that I, you know, this is what a is supposed to be and do. Whereas with expository preaching, the real freedom is, um, no, the, tell, read the text and tell people what it means. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah. Um, and Which, because it's all about Jesus, you're going to get Jesus in there. Yeah. And law and gospel is going to be rightly divided if you rightly divide law and gospel in the text. Exactly. You know what the text says. And yeah. The people who believe and confess with great boldness and sometimes even pride are, are, tenacity of holding to the inerrancy of scriptures as the inspired word of God, which is living and active and the only means of conversion. It is a stunning, a stunning uh, lack of text in most American Lutheran preaching today. Uh, and, and so for me, I'm not saying I'm better. I'm saying I'm, I have the same problem. And what this does for me is it, it forces me to make sure there's more text in the sermon than there is me. Yeah, and, you know, to get out there and, and to believe, to believe that that's what the conversion is going to come from. It's not going right, to be right. if I made this connection or I pointed out this. It's going to be that the text just got repeated. <laughs> the word that the word is powerful to do what the word of God promises. Man, right. it is the key. It's the key to joy in preaching. I think. I think you nailed that. Uh, um, I feel like I had another thought about uh, about your podcast still, but I, I I'm going to go ahead and turn this corner. We're coming up on an hour at this point, getting close. And um, so I'm going to turn this corner toward the carnivore topic. And sure. I, I want to start it out uh, with, uh, with an email that was sent to me. And, and we, can, we can go far afield from this if you like. And I want to get into your own history of it. And, and I'll probably share some of mine that I haven't before too. But, but this is you know, what got me really thinking, God, I, gotta, I, I have to say something about this at some point. And uh, it'd probably be good if, if Will was there with me because here's the email I got. Yeah, he said, I have followed – Pastor Whedon's work on Twitter, KFUO, and his new podcast. I would say the content he shares on Twitter is what influenced me to go on a low-carb diet. Now, after watching your video, Bible, Vegetarian, Carnivore, Boo, I would like to know your thoughts. Oh, no, this is actually not the email I'm thinking of. But anyway, this is a good one, too. He says, I would like to know your thoughts on how, on pleasure, and how it controls us, uh, whether that be through food, drugs, sex, alcohol, power. The new diet I've started really opened my eyes to how manipulated I was with food that surrounds me. Instead of eating the maybe sometimes uh, boring, but overall for my benefit, uh, God-given animal products. A little, little confusing at the end. That's not the email I thought I was going to read you. The one I thought I was going to read you was saying 
how do you theologically do this? How can you possibly biblically eat animals and only eat animals? I'm going to leave both those sitting there in the air for a second, though. And first, I think maybe for the sake of the listener, we maybe should just even define what is that? What is what is carnivore? What is low carb? What is keto? Um, you know, what is uh, paleo? All that stuff. And maybe if you if you give a little of your own history, that'll that'll give you a chance to define some of those terms along the way. Because I know you traveled through a few of those on the way. Mind doing that? Yeah, yeah. No, I I definitely uh, was. I, you know. Way, 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 way back when I was about 40 years old, my wife and I, um, I, and I had really, oh, Jonathan, I was so heavy. There's more. Right, 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 right. No doubt the facts have been exaggerated. Yes. Namely, you know, Bobby, I'm selling unstoppable more Well. Hey, don't worry about it. We're going to pick up with Pastor Whedon next week. You're going to get the rest of the story. And by the way, if you don't want to hear about it, don't tune in next week. If you don't want to hear about why we think carnivore is a good idea, it's cool. It's cool. We can all do our own thing when it comes to this stuff. Uh, just just pass on that one. It's mostly going to be about that. But what you can do instead is you can go pre-order a copy of my new book, Without Flesh, why the church is dying, even though Jesus is still alive. You can pick that up, pre-order at Amazon.com. If you search for Jonathan Fisk, you'll find my author page, or just search for the title. Well, they're not really promoting it over there yet, but it, it has sold a few copies, so hopefully it'll start showing up in the search engine soon enough. Go pick that up, maybe pick up two for your friends, and if you haven't picked up Echo, do that at the same time, and then tune in next week when you'll hear Pastor Will Whedon say, What? That doesn't make any sense at all. What do you mean, don't eat vegetables? What do you mean, just eat beef? Beef? Can anybody possibly survive on just eating beef? City's inhabitants are losing their minds. Trigger warning. This ain't a safe space. Insanity. Like going. Yes, completely, utterly. If you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're doing it bad. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please? <laughs>